He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, hello and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Claire Kincannon tēnei. We've got something a bit neat for you this week. It's an edit of a podcast produced by the Antarctic Heritage Trust about the conservation of Scott's Terra Nova hut. Antarctic Heritage Trust is a New Zealand-based charity with a mission to conserve, share and encourage the spirit of exploration. And in 2019, Chief Operations Officer Francesca Ethorne travelled to the hut at Cape Evans to speak with some of the conservators there about the work behind saving this iconic piece of polar history. It's a time warp without parallel. You walk into Scott's hut and you are transported to the year 1912 in a way that is quite impossible anywhere else in the world. Everything is there. Commercial product, tinned food, clothing, the bench where Wilson conducted his scientific experiments with the glass test tubes and so on. The bunks, the table, It's no accident that this hut, once the home of Captain Robert Falcon Scott and 24 others at Cape Evans in Antarctica, is, as Sir David Attenborough says, frozen in time. Scott's hut at Cape Evans is an important base. It is the hut that Scott's team built for his second expedition to Antarctica and from where he, Dr Edward Wilson, Captain Lawrence Oates and Lieutenants Henry Bowers and Edward Evans launched their bid for the South Pole. The Worst Journey in the World, written by Apsley Cherry Garrard, is perhaps one of the most famous books published from the heroic era of Antarctic exploration. As you know, Scott's polar party made it to the South Pole, but they didn't make it back to their Cape Evans base. Freezing to death, just 11 miles from their next food depot. So here we are at Scott's hut. I'm so excited to go inside. Just before I do, I was reminded about why Scott actually landed here. He wasn't able to land further around at Hut Point, which was, of course, the site of his first expedition, the Discovery. So the Terranova, some years later, had to head further up the coast, and they landed at Cape Evans, which Scott named after his second-in-command, Lieutenant Edward Teddy Evans. So let's go inside the hut. I've actually really got to stoop down to get in the doorway. I'm not that tall myself at 5'5", five five, but um, these guys really apparently average height was about 5'3", so quite a bit, bit shorter than today's generations. So here we go. Here I am inside Scott's Terranova hut with Al Fastier, Antarctic Heritage Trust's Programme Manager for Conservation. Al, I'm so excited to hear some of the stories, both of those early expeditions, but also all of the conservation work that you've done. Because honestly, when you walk in here, it is as if the men just left. Actually, there's been hundreds, if not thousands of hours of work on these huts to make them look this way. As we walked in, you can feel that the microclimate within the building is very dry, and you feel sort of a bit of a spring in the floor. The building feels very very healthy in my eyes, but 
Uh, back in 2004 and five summer season, it was in very poor condition. So uh, the building felt very damp. It was very cold. And there's ice crystals up on the roof and in the corners on the south corner. So before we did any artifact conservation treatments, it was important to improve the microclimate in the building. Otherwise, we can you know, spend a lot of time conserving the artifacts, put them back into a building in a poor condition, and the metals will start corroding again in the rest. So there's a big job ahead of us. We knew that there was a layer of uh, ice under the, the, uh, the, the floor, and so we had to make a decision, were we going to lift the floor? And we knew that that would be a massive job. It took us several days to roll the lino onto this big roller. And just quickly, Al, what had happened to all the artefacts at this stage? Did you have to move them out or to one side? Because there's 11,000 of them in here. I imagine you you had to think carefully about what happened to them. So the first thing we had to do was actually record where the artefacts were, and uh, each artefact was giving an individual number. And then at that point, we could move them because we knew we could return them back to the original location. There are a few challenges. Um, one was the wardroom table, and you can see that's about uh, just over a metre across by uh, probably about five metres long. What do you do with that? We couldn't get it out of the door. So what we did is we wrapped it in protective blankets and they actually raised it up into the roof cavity and stored it up there. So that's really innovative. And the wardroom table is, of course, in all those classic images of Scott and his men having their midwinter's dinner, was such a central part to the hut. You you certainly wouldn't want to damage it. You're 100% correct. It's one of the most iconic artefacts in the building and probably sort of the heart and soul of the building. This is where the officers and the scientists would uh, spend a lot of their time eating and discussing their expeditions and their science. The Cape Evans Hut is actually the largest of the huts in the Ross Sea region. It was prefabricated in London, and the team took nine days to build it once they arrived on the ice. The result was a place Scott wrote as having a feeling of comfort. The word hut is misleading. Our residence is really a house of considerable size, in every respect the finest that has ever been erected in the polar regions. 50 foot long by 25 wide and 9 foot to the eaves. By those measurements, the hut is 1,250 square feet or just under 117 square metres. It would be home to 25 men on this expedition, the place they slept, cooked, ate and worked. Feeding the team was the job of the expedition's chef, Tom Clissold. Tom's kitchen, or galley, is one of the first spaces you see in the hut to the right of the door as you walk in, and was where I caught up with conservator Nicola Stewart. Well, Nicola, it's so exciting to be in the hut itself, and the very first space that we come into is the kitchen, which I imagine was at the heart of hut life. Can you tell us a little bit about Clissold, the chef that worked here, and some of the uh, interesting ways that he was able to use this space to make sure those men were fully fed? He was Royal Naval um, Artificer and then he trained as a chef specifically because he wanted to come on one of these expeditions down to Antarctica, but he was very young at the time. You can see in front of you the stoves that he would have used for cooking and they would have been going constantly. I'm looking around and there's still a lot of food here, isn't there? And in fact, I think Antarctic Heritage Trust cares for the largest single can collection in the world, over 8,000 tins, I believe. And a lot of these tins that we're looking at now, 
they still have food in them, don't they? So they brought a huge range of food down with them. You can really break it up into dried fruit, tinned food and bottled food. But they also stopped off at New Zealand on their way down to Antarctica and picked up some fresh food from there as well. So up on the left-hand side there, you can see cheese um, from Geraldine that they picked up. And there are also butter boxes from along the bottom of the bulkhead there also from New Zealand, and they're probably names that you'd, you'd recognise, like Munga Tepere. And you know, Nicola, when we first came into the hut, and I'm looking around and I see all this food that's left, um, sledging, expedition equipment, scientific equipment, um, the men's everyday needs such as beds and sleeping bags and clothes, there's 11,500 artefacts in here. Now, when you first arrived and you walked in as an artefact conservator and you saw just thousands upon thousands of artefacts, what what was your reaction? Walking into the hut, I was absolutely blown away. It's just amazing to walk in here and see so much. I really didn't expect to see that. Um, It's like walking into a little microcosm of um, English life, really. You look around and you see all the products that I recognise from my own childhood. And some of them still exist. Some of the companies still exist, like Fry's chocolate and Coleman's um, flowers and and birds um, products as well and Jay's fluids and then I looked began looking at the artifacts and this was in 2006 before we'd actually started work on conserving the artifacts inside the hut and some of them I looked at and I thought yep I know what I can do to that to treat them but then there were a huge number of artifacts that I looked at and thought I just have no idea what we can do to them Partly because the deterioration was so bad, but also because I knew the artefacts were coming back into the hut. And when you work in conservation, most of the artefacts you're working on are going into nice warm environments in museums and galleries. But the artefacts we were working on here and the objects were coming back into the hut and into this cold climate. Yep, I have to say it's amazing to walk in now and see all those artefacts treated, conserved, documented and stable. Just lying in my tent, listening to the wind blowing through, staring out at the Barn Glacier, which is just beautiful. It's the most amazing camping spot in the world, I'm sure, here at Cape Evans. I'm due to leave tomorrow, and that's the end of my first proper camping experience. Five days out on site, four nights. I have to say I've really enjoyed it. It's been challenging and different and tiring. Um, The wind has a way of just wearing you down. But really what I had to do here was so simple and easy compared to so many people who have come before me, both from Antarctic Heritage Trust, but also the the early explorers. I'm reading my copy of Worst Journey in the World and really thinking about just the phenomenal things that these early explorers achieved, furthering science, exploration on behalf of humankind, having all sorts of adventures, satisfying all kinds of curiosities, Um, Of course, some terrible tragedies along the way as well. And it's really left me with this incredible sense of place. I'm so privileged and and just so lucky, really, to have had a chance to come here, to have worked and had a little glimpse into what it's like to work on the conservation team and uh, to see just um, what an incredible job my colleagues actually do. It's just been truly fantastic. That was an edit of the Antarctic Heritage Trust podcast, Frozen in Time, Scott's Antarctic Legacy. 
It included the voices of Chief Operations Officer Francesca Ethorn, Programme Manager Al Fastier and Conservator Nicola Stewart. Scott's voiceover was performed by Julian Anderson and the original music used in this piece are on Satin Waters by Eilara Mackendo and The Frozen Wild by Marco de Kretzer, both Antarctic Heritage Trust inspiring explorers. This version was edited by me, Claire Cannon, and sound engineering at RNZ was by Phil Bench. You can find the Antarctic Heritage Trust's full podcast, explore photos of the hut and artefacts, and listen to additional audio at nzaht.org. Search for Frozen in Time. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Cannon. Kia pai to wiki.